0: almost every CIO out there is trying to do some sort of a rationalization. They're trying to manage costs. They're trying to improve on efficiencies. They just are unable to to do it internally, even if they wanted to, because their skills are perhaps depleted or, or stressed. And you know how it is on the mainframe side as uh, there's a skills challenge, bringing newer people into the market, which you know is another thing we're working on.
1: Hi and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Vikas Sinha. Now, Vikas is the Vice President of Global Customer Experience and Strategic Alliances for the Mainframe Software Division for Broadcom. Vikas, welcome to the show. It's long overdue. It's so great to have you on air with us.
0: Thanks a lot, Des. Thanks for having me here.
1: Indeed. In fact, we were just talking off air that I uh, had one of your associates on the show recently. And the first thing she said after we were off air was, oh, my goodness, I got to get Vikas on the show. He's going to love this. And uh, so it's long overdue. It's great to have you here. How's your day been so far? I, um, uh, When we were talking earlier, I think you mentioned that uh, you're uh, back in the office now, I believe.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been good so far. You're right. We're back in the office. Uh, so let me make it clear. Uh, we want to lead by example. We want to you know, try and get our lives to as normal as practical. So leadership, management, uh, we are coming into the offices every single day, uh, well, five days a week. Uh, For the rest of our staff, we are still on a 50% rotation. So they work two weeks on site, two weeks, you know, from home Uh, and that's how we are sort of managing the rest of the workforce.
1: I think it's a great initiative because, you know, I mean, Broadcom's a global company. You, you're all around the world. You've got varying levels of experience in, in the, you know, I guess the, 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 the global pandemic would have hit Southeast Asia part of your organization very early, it would have made its way through sort of you know, the Middle East and and then South Europe, North Southern Europe, Northern Europe, UK, then hit the US and so forth and, and certainly would have been into Australia earlier. So it's sort of had various, uh, I guess, you know, timings in the experience. But uh, now's the time for organisations to take that leadership role, in my view, and, and I think it's a great thing you've done, and I'm sure you've done it under all sorts of you know, various care and, and control and so forth. And and and, uh, and I loved your uh, comment you made the other day uh, earlier when we were talking, where you said your uh, door handle had been polished to death, that your uh, your cleaning team were hitting it every 20 minutes or so. But um, but I guess that's our new normal, and we just need to live with it, and deal with it. Um, now let me quickly introduce you to our audience. Um, and then I'd like to sort of just get an insight in kind of what a day in the life of Vikas Sinha is like. But uh, so you're the VP of Global Customer Service Experience and Strategic Alliances at uh, Broadcom in the Mainframe Software Division, uh, and I understand that uh, that means you're responsible for all uh, leading all field-facing technical and business teams globally for Broadcom mainframe customers, including all pre and post-sale activities to help your customers understand and realize the value of what you're delivering. Internal and external customer uh, education programs. And, and essentially, I made a note here, I believe it's all about relationships and, and partnerships and particularly leading our customers to success, which is a, a very broad and heady challenge. But uh, it appears that you're, you're doing an amazing job at doing that. Um, well, I wonder if you could maybe give us a little insight into kind of, you know, what is a day in the life of Vikas like in a normal circumstance? And then we can sort of talk about some of the changes that have come about lately. But in a normal circumstance pre-COVID-19, uh, what was sort of a day in the life for you like and what were some of the key challenges you dealt with on a regular basis?
0: Right, so some of the things, the core of what, what I work on, what I do, hasn't really changed much pre-COVID or after COVID, and we can talk about it, you know, what has actually changed. But most of my time is actually spent on, I would say, a few simple things. Continue to reinforce our relationships with our customers. These customers have placed their trust in us, in our technology, in our solutions. We want them to be successful. Uh, with their initiatives, with with whatever they are up to. Uh, We want them to feel valued and know that we are here to help and help them to get all the help they can from us to realize a quick uh, ROI on their investments. Uh, You've you've heard this uh, several times, Des, you know, mainframe business is a relationship business, and it requires the same love and care you would have for any successful relationship. So I spent a lot of time on various elements, various aspects of uh, that relationship with our customers. The second part that and I strongly you know, uh, believe in and spend a good amount of time in is mentoring, nurturing, and helping mature our teams to be best in class. Uh, we've got great people, and we need to continue to raise the bar. Uh, as you've already noted from my background, I'm still an engineer at heart. I can't help with that, I suppose. So I do engage quite a bit with development teams and brainstorming things we can do better, simpler, easier, smarter, faster. Uh, my prior experience in predictive analytics, as well as some of the academic uh, foundation I have in data sciences, uh, helps me on the permission to be on several of these conversations with very smart people on engineering teams uh, i'm also part of the leadership that continuously looks at where we should be putting our r&d dollars or generally our mainframe dollars that we're investing into the business so a good amount of time is also spent on understanding the impact uh, or effect of what we have been putting in the market and where uh, we should be steering next well, outside of these, I see myself as a as a business and technology evangelist. Been, you know, pre-COVID, this is where COVID before and after comes in. Uh, Pre-COVID, I had been going around the world, meeting customer executives, talking about, you know, the art of the possible and how to realize more from their investments with us on the mainframe. Now, post-COVID uh, or during COVID, uh, since all the travel has pretty much, you know, been suspended, uh, we are we have converted over very successfully to deliver the same uh, message, the same conversation, uh, the same type of touch points uh, virtually over uh, WebEx, uh, Zoom, whatever works. So I'm spending more time in front of a camera and <laughs> talking into a microphone these days <laughs> than I've ever done in my life. <laughs>
1: Welcome to my life, mate. Uh, but actually, I've got a question for you on that. And uh, just as a side note, um, are you finding that it's actually given you the opportunity to get a little more intimate with the relationships in that there's a very different uh, experience in, uh, you know, initially, I think a lot of people thought it was more remote because you weren't physically there and, and seeing each other in person. But have you found that it's actually turned into a slightly more intimate experience? In that, once people get used to the medium, as you said, whether it's WebEx or Zoom or any other platform, or, and so forth, or even GoToMeeting and other things, where if it's a sort of webinar-style formats, but you're still sort of doing live stream, are you finding that people have gotten used to it and now become a lot more intimate with it and are comfortable and, and have just pivoted to it and got and, and just it's the new normal now?
0: I, people have definitely gotten more more comfortable uh, with that. Initially, uh, you would not see people turning their cameras on, right? right? It's just the voice you're hearing. And now slowly as people ease into it and they realize they haven't seen another person outside of their office or their homes uh, for a long time, uh, they they turn their cameras on as well. So interestingly, I've got a glimpse into people's like drawing rooms, living rooms, dining rooms, bedrooms. <laughs> it's it's definitely uh, brought a, a different type of uh uh, intimacy in that relationship uh, that you could not have had before. Now, while that is true, the, the other thing that you do miss out uh, by not meeting people in person is normally you go spend a day you know, meeting somebody or a few hours, and then after that, you could go out for a dinner and catch up on family and other things outside of work. So, there's a rebalance of things that now become part of the conversation for work and outside of work.
1: Yeah, I, um, uh, there's a funny little anecdote for you. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine pinged me and he said, oh, I haven't seen you for a couple of months because you haven't been in Melbourne. I said, Well, give me a call tonight. I'm ordering in pizza. And uh, my, my kids, <laughs> my kids uh, our 19 uh, year old daughter's uh, doing university, so her door's going to be closed. And my son's got some homework. And my better half has some late calls around Southeast Asia. So, I'm ordering pizza. It's just me. So he's like, okay. So I ordered pizza for him and me, and I got one shipped to him and one to me, or I ordered from a local pizza and a shop in, in Melbourne for him. So I bought him dinner, as it were, and then we just sat there and, and had the camera going and just chatting. And I said to him, this seems quite normal, actually. We should have been doing this pre-COVID, right? And he's like, yeah, why weren't we doing this, right? Um, but I guess so we've all had a Robert Kelly moment with the uh, cats and dogs and kids rushing into the camera. You probably remember Robert Kelly, he's the BBC interviewer. Uh, A a presenter in Southeast Asia talks about finance and whatnot and his kids crashed into the room and his poor partner (laughs) had to come sliding down the hallway. (laughs) And I think, you know, I I like it. I think that, that, you know, everyone sort of cringes when they talk about it. I'm like, actually, it's quite nice that, you know, I mean, I don't mind kids being in the room and I don't mind puppy dogs walking in the background or occasionally barking. And that's, I think it's rehumanized us. But of course, it's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit tricky, sort of seeming polished and professional. Well, you know, I, I would, I'd like to say congratulations on that journey, because I think as as a leader a senior executive and a business leader it's it's a tough juggle for you to kind of maintain your personal life and your family life and your own mental and physical health and lead a substantially large team globally and run a, an organization this, of the scale you do uh, and still kind of just you know keep it together and 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 drive that leadership and and that blend between work from home pivot to getting back in the office you know firstly congratulations on managing that because i think It speaks to the character that you are, that you're able to do that very calmly and and carefully and and, and such a strong leadership role that uh, it it would probably be giving, I can guarantee it's giving your team a a range of confidence and clarity around how you're communicating that because there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and and it's so important that our work lives are very clear and certain that we can just focus on getting on it because our personal lives are going through some challenges. Now, I have some notes here that uh, one of your team gave me a bit of insight, and I hope you don't mind, but uh, they head you down as a lifelong learner, that you love tra- travel and music, and that I understand that you're a Bollywood fan, uh, as I am. I, um, In fact, uh, I was thinking the other day, what was my favorite Bollywood movie? You know, I think back in 2004, one of my all-time favorites uh, was one, I think it's called uh, Suarez. It, it was about a, a young guy Swadish. who had a job, uh, yep. Suarez, got a job with uh, NASA in the US, and uh, and then he had to head home, and uh, it was an amazing story about sort of just the adjusting going back to hometown and all of the different things he had to deal with. It. And so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that up because it was like, I loved it. I watched it about 10 times, and my kids are like, Not again. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do, I love the depth and character in them because, you know, we get all these Hollywood movies that are so polished, and, and, you know, you watch a lot of TV contents, all the fake laughter. I love the reality of Bollywood movies. Um, and that uh, you drive an electric car. Um, what do you drive? I, I'm keen to hear what you what you've got in the way of an electric <laughs> so, car.
0: So, so uh, as you know, uh, Des, I'm 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 a tech geek, right? So, Indeed. I bought into I bought into this vision of a self-driving uh, vehicle someday. Someday, <laughs> I'm going to sit in the car at home and just select the destination, and it's going to drive me to my office as I'm sitting and reading the newspaper. Now, that's a vision. We're nowhere close to that. I do drive a Tesla. So, Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, I'm experimenting with them.
1: <laughs> Good for you. Well, you know, I guess it goes again to your character that you're, you're leading by example. I, I have to admit, I've avoided getting one here mostly because uh, it had taken a while to get a little recharge stations. And, uh, <laughs> and and like America, everything in Australia is a long way away. But uh, we just don't have the population. You know, we've only got about 25 million people here. So, the cities are all nicely built up, but it's a long way between them. And uh, it's a long walk if you end up with a flat battery, right? Um, now, also, another thing that really struck me was in the notes I have here that, um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'd like to get the detail, but both yourself and your wife have instituted various uh, scholarships at your alma mater. Um, give us some insight into that, because I think that's just an amazing thing.
0: So I think one, uh, we've been blessed, right? I mean, I see us uh, where we are in our lives, uh, we are very blessed. And we're also blessed to have uh, uh, one son who likes to be on his own. Uh, He works in California. He wants to stand up on his own legs and doesn't want to depend on parents. So we started to look at, well, now now that that's taken care of, let's start to help others uh, who are not as lucky or as privileged. Uh, So we we started instituting scholarships, at our our university, uh, at our college, actually, not the university uh, for people who are academically deserving and may or may not be as financially able. Uh, So something to help them, not a significant amount of money, but it definitely does uh, Mm. encourage them to continue with on their on their academic path.
1: I think that's fantastic. You're committed to do it. It's amazing how, um, and, and, and as you said, it's not so much about the money per se, it's just the support. One other note I hear, uh, and I'd love you to tell me about it. You, you established a branch of, I think it's Siemens, uh, to develop with um, develop, a development skills center, I think it was, at the same college. Was that right?
0: It, it, it is. It is. So <laughs> the way it came about was, and, and I have to I have to give all the credit to my wife. Uh, it was her, her <laughs> brainchild. <laughs> You're <laughs> a wise
1: right. man. You're a very wise so, man. <laughs>
0: Uh, when when my parents uh, passed away uh, uh, back in 2011 is when my dad passed away. 2015 is when my mom passed away. Uh, we had a family home in India, and we decided to sell that home because I was living in the U.S. and so it was so is my brother and my sister. We're all in the United States. Uh, it was getting hard to manage it, so we sold the house, and for the share uh, of uh, money I got out of that sale, uh, we thought about it. Well, we could have brought it to the US and I probably would have gone and bought another Tesla with it. Or, right. There's uh, yeah. something fun. But we said, okay, you know, uh, we don't need that money. We really don't. What can we do with it? So she reached out to the college and said, look, you know, I've got this a decent sh- amount of money. We would like to contribute. What can we do with it? So the college at that time was looking at uh, a scheme from Government of India, and the scheme actually is broadly known as uh, Make in India, not Made in India. Uh, and it's really about developing uh, technical skills, uh, and these are more like you know vocational skills uh, for people to get trained on operating uh, medical equipment, uh, computer equipment, industry equipment. Uh, bring up that talent in the country and also, uh, to some extent, help with the brain drain. Um, I'm a part of the brain drain. I did leave India when I was uh, young. Uh, So how do you keep the talent, nurture the talent, grow them, and train them? Uh, So Siemens was contributing uh, with all the machinery. The the government of India, or actually the state government, contributed with uh, some additional subsidy, for running the center and me and my wife or our family uh, contributed to the infrastructure, the building that this thing is uh, housed in at the college.
1: Wow, I um, that, that just about took my breath away. It's almost like you are living out my favorite Bollywood movie, uh, Swadesh, uh, in, and <laughs> in doing that. I, I, that's just astounding. You know, it it just, it literally warms my heart to think that you've had this windfall uh, through unfortunate circumstances, and I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your parents, uh, uh, but, you know, I, it's just astounding you've done that, and I just, yeah, it's, it just blows me away. I think it's an amazing initiative, and, and, and congratulations to both you and your wife. It's just phenomenal, and, you know, if anything, I think it speaks to the whole thing about leaving the world in a better place than we found it, and, and what an amazing legacy to have put in place uh, in your lifetime, and... The uh, the the impact that that's having now and will have over the the next couple of decades and beyond is immeasurable yep. and it's just I mean wow it, I'm going to now have to find something to do quite as inspiring <laughs> that that yeah I mean I, I almost got a lump in my throat hearing you uh, say that it's just f- phenomenal now you are um, no stranger to an academic career path yourself you've had um, and and again correct me if I'm getting these wrong I believe you have got an M S in predictive analytics and data sciences you uh, have an M S in structural engineering. Um, BTech and civil engineering. Uh, you've uh, recently embarked on, I believe it's a doctoral of studies in a journey in data sciences. I think it's at the University of North Texas. Um, that's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, any one of those would have set you up for an amazing uh, life in, in business and technology. Um, what uh, inspires you to go down quite such a, a, I guess, a deeply technical and scientific background as far as your
0: studies Go. I think I think uh, some of that is uh, self-fulfilling. I mean, I find uh, going back to university uh, and study to be very uh, therapeutic. Uh, just has a has a good effect on my mind. Calms me down. <laughs> I find it very exhilarating. Uh, feel rejuvenated. So I guess you know I have that bug. I just want to keep going back and. Uh, learn something yeah, and, and you're it. 11. And, uh, and the other thing, I, as I mentioned earlier, Des, is uh, it, it does earn me permission to be in conversations. You know, your word becomes a little bit more credible.
1: Wow, that's, <laughs> you're like, you're this constant uh, source of great quotes. I'm going to pinch that one. That's brilliant. No, Indeed. And, you know, I, I, I love the fact that, in, you know, I guess uh, inquiring minds are the minds that generally change the world. And uh, so you're you're living that and envisioning that and and embodying that, I should say, in in every possible way. You've had some amazing uh, career path as well. I just wanted to highlight a few of these that really stood out. You've been the VP uh, of Worldwide R&D at uh, SPSS. You've been the VP of Global uh, Technical uh, Support, again, at SPSS, and uh, Director of Predictive Analytics, Worldwide Engineering at IBM, and Senior VP of Engineering and Offering Management uh, at what was originally CA Technologies, I guess now uh, part of the mainframe family. Uh, inside Broadcom, uh, 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 any any career highlights that have really just stood out? Something that you sort of you know, look back now and go, that was that was a dream role, a dream job. Were they all in that category?
0: I think uh, all of them have been my dream jobs. Have, right. I mean, they have been the jobs that anybody would die for any day. So <laughs> I, I would say I've, I've been very privileged. I've been very privileged to have those opportunities.
1: It's fascinating. Now, I wonder if we could just pivot sideways to get to know you personally a little bit better, and particularly your personal background. Um, maybe if uh, I could get you to sort of just give us a little insight into sort of you know, where you're originally from and, and any particular things that inspired you to go down this path in an early age. Because I think, you know, my audience often loves to sort of get to know, I guess, at a personal level before we dive into your role and I guess some of the key topics we're going to talk about today, particularly around the mainframe space and, and our overall theme of enabling uh, Broadcom mainframe customers to uh, gain better success uh, through some of the things you're running. But um, I wonder if we just take a moment to pause and and do a sideways segue into you personally, where you're from, I guess, you know, where you grew up and any of these early inspirations that sort of drove you down this amazing life and career path to do some of the astounding things you've just shared with us.
0: Absolutely, there's So I, I belong to a very humble North Indian, I would call it a upper middle class family. Uh, I've got one brother, one sister, both of them married, married. Uh, We all live in the United States, as I mentioned before. Uh, We grew up in Hyderabad in India. Uh, That's kind of on the southern uh, part of the country. Uh, That's where I went through my uh, growing up pretty much in entirety, Uh, came to the United States for higher education uh, soon after I completed my undergraduate degree in India. Uh, I have to say my wife was actually my classmate in my undergrad in India. And later, uh, after I came to the U.S., she also joined me and pursued her master's degree. Wow. So we have one son who's a computer engineer, lives in the Bay Area, uh, and works for a technology company in product management. Uh, Currently, uh, we are living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We moved here about a year ago uh, after living in the Chicago area for almost twenty plus years. Uh the other thing I like to call out and proud of, I grew up as a Boy Scout. Wow. So learned a, quite a bit of things. So some of the qualities you're gonna see in me are probably, you know, you would find that in any Boy Scout.
1: That explains a great deal, particularly some of the things we're gonna talk about later with badges, but um it, there's a lot to be said about the Boy Scout program, actually. I, um, I went through uh, Sea Scouts, a similar thing, but in New Zealand with Sea Scouts, uh, which was all water-focused. And um, yeah, I can, I can uh, certify that that definitely shaped me up in many ways. You, you're, you've had an amazing academic and career path as well. I wonder if you can sort of give us some insights into kind of some of the key highlights that came out. We've talked about some of your amazing academic achievements, but I um, imagine that in the early days, uh, sort of your early academic uh, uh, journey would have uh, greatly shaped part of your life as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I. so look, I mean, we, we uh, I don't come from a family that had a lot of money, right? So it's not the wealth that was transferred over. Uh, so I've been very, very fortunate to have extremely encouraging parents uh, who taught us right from day one that all you're going to have in your life is your education, your personal experience. Uh, that's all you have. That's all you have to stand upon. And, and what they taught us was how to best make use of that uh, to to make our life better, to make lives of others around us better. So these are the teachings which really are sort of the pillars uh, in, in my life. Uh, I have a very supportive wife, uh, a very supportive uh, son. Uh, of course, I mean, sometimes they, I feel those guys are managing me, <laughs> but very, very supportive, and they've stood by me, you know, with all my madness, you know, every few years going back to college, spending time. So you can you can imagine there is a there is a cost that they are paying uh, along with me spending the time. But they continue to encourage me and continue to push me forward. Uh, lots of you know friends, teachers, professors, uh, bosses in previous jobs uh, who placed their trust and faith in me, in giving me opportunities that I would have no, uh, normally, you know, not in, not encountered uh, in a natural way. So I've kind of been very lucky in having so many well-wishers, so many angels uh, all around me pretty much all the time.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, I think, uh, listening to you say that, I, I think, you know, I, like you, I've been very lucky in that um, my better half has always been incredibly supportive and, and our two kids have always... Been willing to uh, to go to the ends of the earth to ensure that uh, Dad is able to do what he wants, whether it's traveling for work or traveling for for my own enjoyment and taking photos and so forth. Uh, and uh, I found that uh, I looked back and thought, Oh gosh, they've you know they've given us so much. And over dinner once we were talking about it, and I just said, Look, you know, thanks for sacrificing so much. And they're like, No, we we're not sacrificing. We believe in you. And I, I imagine it's exactly the same for you with your yep. son and your partner. And your wife that, uh, you know, they believe in you so strongly that they would do anything to help you because they want to r- help you realize your dream. And I think that sounds like you've got the match made in heaven <clears throat> in every possible way. And I guess that, that's, you know, in many ways, that's part of a whole life, isn't it? Finding the right people to go through life through or or growing the kids that we want to share our life with. Because, uh, you know, as you said, you know, a career path or our academic path or life experiences are kind of what shape us. Um, well, that, you know, amazing life story, and I, you know, I can't um, tell you how much this is going to inspire our, our audience to uh, to now enjoy this amazing conversation we have around some of the key things that you're doing currently. So let me just highlight some of the things we're going to talk about, folks. We're going to talk about the key theme, which is enabling Broadcom mainframe customers to uh, to gain better successes and, and outcomes and so forth. And particularly, we're going to talk about a couple of initiatives, one in particular called Win No Fee, which we'll get into in a moment, another one around digital badging and a range of other key topics. So, firstly, thank you very much, uh, Vikas, for giving us so much great insight into your personal life. And um, I uh, wanted to highlight, I think you said you were, you were originally from uh, Hyderabad, I think you said it was? Correct. I um, Years ago, I remember reading about a, is uh, it was, it's a Gold Conda Fort, I think it was, which is a, a diamond trading center way, way back. And it's on yes. my bucket list to get there and see it, because I had this mental image of, of this city with a, a fort in the center being defended against, uh, you know, invaders, trading these magical diamonds way back when—that goes back so far. I think it's like you know, 16th century sort of era. So it's on my bucket list to get there and go and see this place and stand in the middle of it and just breathe the air in and go, "What happened back then?" Right. Um, so it must have been amazing to grow up there. Well, let's dive into our key topics for today. So, firstly, let's start with Win No Fee. Uh, now, I've been seeing this. You know I've been seeing it around the place. I've been reading a lot about it. I've heard about it and spoken to a few of your colleagues about. It. I wonder if we could just start out with the 30,000-foot view of what does Win No Fee mean? What does the initiative actually entail?
0: So in, at a 30,000-foot level, Win No Fee is really about, it's our initiative to help our customers simplify their computing environments. And we do the simplification by uh, offering them to rationalize their software to a smaller number of vendors. I mean, the more the number of vendors you have in your shop, the more complicated your environment is. The more technologies and tools you have to train your people on, right? So one of the simplest way is, let's get you all on on one suite, one platform, and we prefer it to be ours. Uh, we want it to be ours. Uh, now the problem that people have with that is. It's all good. They believe in the savings they're going to see with skills, with you know just the cost of licenses, etcetera later on. But the cost of getting this conversion, uh, the the assets that need to be converted over, uh, with the amount of customizations a lot of customers have, could be a very expensive proposition. And when you combine that cost of converting somebody over, uh, it no longer remains a viable option to do that. So we partner with our customers. And to me, partnership means not just saying, hey, buddy, you know, I'm a partner, Uh, I'm gonna invest in my customers. And I'm gonna pay for the services that are required to actually do that conversion. So you're getting the conversion as a customer at, you know, no cost or at a very 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 reasonable affordable margin that we bring it down to uh, and uh it's it's a it's a happy ending for for both us as well as the customer
1: oh, I love it. it's a fantastic initiative i think um and one of the things that I've been hearing about this is that and and certainly you know the the mainframe software division of Broadcom now has has led the world in this whole space, and you know I've, I've long considered yep. uh, your teams to be you know, essentially the number one voice in Mainframe for so long that I can't remember, but through the various education programs, through the mentorships, through the various you know audit programs, and certainly now through Win No Fee, that you're providing a great deal of what I would refer to as thought leadership in how to approach the business problems, but also backing it with the technology stack and capability and then engineering uh, a depth of knowledge and experience in people that from the front door to the warehouse, as it were, and all the way between uh, the, those spaces in the organization, that you've got the capability to talk at the boardroom level about the key initiatives from a business point of view, but also get hands on keyboard and potentially even develop new codes and scripts and tools and routines if necessary. And I imagine that's a great part of this uh, whole challenge is to look at what, is the, what are the key challenges you're facing now and how do they relate to the business benefit you're trying to drive in your organization and and where can you and your team work with them around the space uh, what what is the journey uh, wh- if I was a customer and you were going to talk to me about how this is going to be implemented what what does that journey look like from the initial conversation through to implementation
0: absolutely and but before before I even get into that there's I just wanted to sort of explain what win-no-fee actually means because that's yeah. a very weird name, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's, a, there, there's some history behind it. Okay. Uh, so uh, we actually started out, uh, you know, as we were getting acquired by Broadcom. This was those days when Broadcom actually had announced that they were going to acquire CA Technologies and uh, they had not yet uh, cl- closed the, the, the transfer, the acquisition so we were in that uh, window, and the only thing we knew was, geez, you know, Broadcom is extremely interested in in mainframe, right? That's the part in CA that interested them the most, and they are going to invest. They're going to invest in the platform. They're going to invest in the teams, and we started brainstorming on uh, how how are we how are we going to use the investment, right? And nobody's going to give us money. We got to propose. Here's what we would do with the money that you are putting on the table so we started talking about various things and this whole thing about you know let's uh, figure out a way to rationalize uh, software customers uh, software over to our portfolio you know that gives us a boost in our uh, revenues and in the adoption of our software uh, and and they, the first thing we came out with we called it as no win no fee and the whole idea was We're going to help work on uh, conversions, we'll do it at a discounted price, but if we are unsuccessful, you don't pay us anything. And as we were talking through that, and we were listening to ourselves, it almost sounded, we started sounding like, you know, the lawyers who would... And and no, no disrespect to the lawyer profession. <laughs> <laughs> but we did start uh, sounding like the lawyers who often tell you, look, I'm going to, you know, take up your ca- case and you don't pay me until you win the case. And we said, no, no, this is this is not the way we are. We should be looking for it. In fact, why don't we channel some of that investment to help make this successful? And we said, okay, so how about we say if. Mr. Customer, you and we, if we together win, there's no charge. We're going to be at the cost, right. right? And and the reason for having a term there, uh, you might say, well, why don't you just don't have a name and just do it for free? Well, when we offer that value, you can imagine a lot of companies, a lot of people can see this as free. And free does not often carry the same value label that something that you pay for has. Uh, So what we said was, well, we are gonna do it at no charge, but we're gonna have a statement of work. We're gonna have very clear uh, you know, line item things on, here's all the things we're gonna do. We're gonna set the expectations. We're gonna give you the performance characteristics of what you're gonna get end of the day. And uh, we're gonna follow through and do it now. Halfway through the product. Now remember, I'm already investing my resources in good faith here. Halfway through the project uh, for a non-technology reason, for a reason that we are not responsible for. uh, The incumbent who we are trying to replace, their CEO goes and plays golf with the CEO of this customer organization, right? or or their executives, you know, socialize, and they decide that, you know, geez, you know, never mind, this whole Broadcom thing was free. uh, Let's abandon it. We're going to stay where we are. Now, if you do that, it's fine with me, but that entire amount, which was mentioned in the SOW and I wrote off with a business allowance, comes due.
1: So you end
0: up with nothing and a lot of money you're paying for it or you finish the project and you get a lot for nothing. I so, like that because it's, get- you're
1: both agreeing to invest similarly in the outcome where it's that sort of win no fee model. But as you said, if if you're not mutually invested in it, then by the sounds of things, then then somebody is going to pay for it. And, and I think that's a very fair scenario because I, I think, you know, when I look at these things, there's no such thing as free lunch for anybody. And uh, if, if you're investing your time and effort and resources, there's a cost in that. But what you're asking your client to do is make the similar investment on their part without necessarily putting money on the table. But it's still resource and cost and investment in time and effort and yes. so forth to their part. And I think that's a very great way to describe it, actually, because I think a lot of people, as you said, when they see something for free, they don't perceive the value or the investment. But if you give it a decent term, and certainly a sensible business-focused term like win-no-fee, that they've got to make a conscious effort and a conscious decision to invest in it on their part with human beings and from the capital uh, costs that come with HR and other things uh, and be similarly invested in the outcome. I think it's a great initiative. Uh, and, and I actually, I wish I had a T-shirt with it on it because it's one of those things where it's such a catchy phrase that it's a great conversation starter. And I imagine that uh, I, can, I can visualize you, Vikas, walking in the room going, Give me the whiteboard marker. I'm going to write something up. Win no fee. What does that mean? And the whole room would sit up and pay attention. So I think it's a great campaign. <laughs> and I and, and look, thank you for giving us the insight in the background to that because it's often yeah. there's so much detail and history to these things that uh, help shape them. That um, it, it helps us uh, understand it better. What um, Not so nothing. where where is it at now?
0: Yeah. yeah so let, that's what I was getting at. Let me try and answer the rest of the actual original question you thank asked. You. Right. So. Uh, me and and my peers, my boss, you know, we, we all have been traveling like crazy for the last couple of years, going out, meeting customer executives, understanding, you know, their pain points, understanding their challenges, and what we find, you know, when I'm talking to various customer executives, uh, what I find is almost every CIO out there is trying to do. Some sort of a rationalization. Uh, they're trying to manage costs. they're trying to improve on efficiencies. Uh, they just are unable to to do it uh, internally, even if they wanted to, because their skills are perhaps depleted, right or or stressed. And you know how it is on the mainframe side as uh, there's a skills challenge bringing newer people into the market, which you know is another thing we're working on. But customers uh, see that pain, and th- even if they have uh, skills, they are often specialized in certain areas, and they are they don't have uh, the the bandwidth to stretch beyond uh, and help with these types of conversions on their own. So, so when we when we talk to them, uh, every every almost every CIO, is interested in getting some sort of an assistance especially if there are no strengths attached with uh, charges services fees in current or in areas doesn't matter right so everybody is interested in getting that resource assistance if they if they could and we come in that's where we come in and help them with that uh, so the way the way it works uh, does is it's, it's very simple. We sit down with the customers, uh, the right people in their site, uh, understand their objectives. You know, is it skills driven? Is it you know uh, cost driven? Is it just efficiency they are looking for, or maybe they ended up with this whole suite of tools from multiple vendors because they went through a series of you know acquisitions and mergers over time, which is actually the most common scenario you find out there. So we sit down and try to figure out, well, if we were to do this, what kind of savings would they realize from a licensing fee perspective, from the skills that they would have to have in-house from that perspective? Uh, and we, we together, uh, develop a plan uh, to, to, towards their objectives. Uh, we agree on timelines, we agree on features, functionality, We agree on performance expectations uh, that they're going to end up with after the conversions. And then once we have that all laid out, uh, that's when my boss opens his wallet and we lay down (laughs) uh, our resources, right? I mean, I have a team of resources that uh, are constantly out there uh, with customers doing just what I spoke about. Uh, We have a suite of automated conversion tools that we have developed. Uh, These are pretty advanced and pretty robust uh, tools uh, that have gone through the engineering rigor. We use these automated conversion tools and a good number of conversions we do. The tools can actually carry about, you know, 80, 90% uh, of the way with the conversion and the remaining 10% is in anything that has been highly customized or you do need a pair of, you know, a set of right. hands and eyes to double check the work. So, we, we, with the tools, we also help minimize the risk of errors that would uh, be introduced should you try and do this whole thing manually.
1: Okay. What well, you must have some amazing anecdotes uh, you could share in examples or case studies or whatever we want to phrase it with regard to some of the clients you've, I mean, you probably can't name them, but… I wonder if you could sort of share some examples of some of the, 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 the um, projects you've done of late to sort of highlight how these have run.
0: Absolutely, it is. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm going to stay away from naming any of these, but these are all, uh, you know, real things. We, we, are, we are generating a lot of interest in the field, I can say that. Lots of customers have taken us, uh, taken us up on this. And, you know, why would you not? So let me take an example of uh, a large, you know, bank in in, the United States. Uh, uh, I've I've been visiting uh, their site quite a bit, and and so they are pretty close to me, to my heart, (laughs) their executives. Uh, So they decided to rationalize uh, or to to Broadcom products. Uh, We started this journey, I'd say about 18, to 20 months ago with these people. Uh, They initially chose to rationalize in the areas of IT operations and uh, application development. Uh, When they saw the way it was being run, uh, the progress they were able to see, because we were there, Uh, we, we were not just doing the conversion and throwing it over the wall. We took it all the way to get it all in production, train their teams, especially on the application development side, on how to work with what we have just migrated them over to. they they were pretty happy and they came back. Uh, it's not us going and selling to them. They came back. And they said, well, you know this this is good. Here are a few additional areas. Can you guys help us there? So we are in the process of picking up three additional areas. Uh, where where similar rationalization is in progress, I can run through a number of similar examples. Uh, another one I'd like to just touch on uh, briefly is is a is a is a large uh, about a hundred billion dollar healthcare services company, uh, and they are looking to to improve on their application development and lifecycle management capabilities as they try to expand their own business. Uh, I mean, these days, uh, if you look at, you know, if since I'm on the example of healthcare, uh, pretty much every insurance company, what used to be a, an insurance healthcare insurance provider, is now becoming a healthcare services company. So they're all expanding their footprint, right? So there's additional things they want to do on the platform. Uh, they want to simplify as they are expanding their workloads. Uh, they collaborated with us. Uh, we were able to go through all the challenges. They had number of you know mergers and acquisitions along the way, so pretty complex environment. Uh, we created a roadmap that gave them the confidence that uh, we would be they would be riding minimum risk and and we would indeed be able to get them to the finish line uh, safely. So that's another large one that is in play at the moment. That's amazing. One of
1: the things that comes to mind immediately, though, is like, uh, for listeners who are in a similar position and want to engage with you and and, and go down this journey, uh, how should they go about that process to sort of reach out, get in touch, engage with it, and start that journey with you to to go through this process of the, I guess, the win-no-fee uh, uh, success story?
0: Absolutely. And uh, I think first you need to figure out if this is something for you, right? And that's the first thing. And... What I see out there is there are essentially two types of customers. Uh, I'm generalizing this broad categorization. Uh, the first type of customers are those who are seeing pressures from their CIO or CFO to reduce on costs, and one way to reduce cost is through rationalization, right? So that that is one category of customers, uh, and I would tend to say that. Uh, pretty much every every customer probably has that cost pressure to some degree.
1: Oh, absolutely, and even more I, so this year, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And the second uh, type of customer, uh, these are the guys who know, who have a, a good strategy, right? Who who kind of know what they want to do, but they just don't have the wherewithal to do it internally on their own. Uh, they don't have the skills availability they may not have the conversion tools. They are not professional uh, con- software converters, right? Uh, and even with the resources they have, they might not be available. So if if customers, I mean, the people who are in sort of these buckets, this is definitely something they should be looking at. Uh, and the way to kind of get started is Just reach out to to us, reach out to the account team. Uh, We engage with, with, you know, sometimes we start out with with even a design thinking exercise to figure out, you know, do you guys even know what you want? We'll help you get to that. Uh, So we do that. Uh, We do uh, workshops to come up with a plan for them. Uh, We come up with a list of actual products and solutions that can be rationalized and should be rationalized. Uh, in the process, we also would be doing, uh, you know, health checks on their environment. So just give them idea on how they can improve uh, their exploitation of the platform, you know, have they offloaded to a speciality processors. That's the simplest one. Uh, and you'll be surprised on how many customers actually have not, right? And they can right. do a lot more. It's just a very trivial example. Uh, how are your? How's your security posture on the platform? Uh, are you using the best practices? So we can run, you know, our, our uh, MRI, the mainframe resource intelligence scans as well, to get uh, customers, you know, that dimension into their own environment as well. As we are working on the whole uh, prep for towards a window fee. So there's a lot of other uh, value added. Uh, Services again at no charge to our customers. Uh, we want we want the the platform uh, to continue to perform and people to continue to believe in that and help uh, mitigate some of the challenges that they run into on a day-to-day basis for doing so.
1: It's an amazing initiative, and we'll have information in the show description and uh, in the text down below, as the YouTubers like to say it, uh, with links to not just the Broadcom mainframe uh, software division website, but also links to... Uh, some of the uh, resources to get started with this. Another uh, amazing initiative that I'm seeing, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm seeing it in my LinkedIn feed regularly, is your digital badges program. Uh, and I guess this is all part of your skill building, skill building and, and, and um, uh, skill enhancement uh, initiatives. Um, tell us about digital badges. I'm seeing them everywhere. Uh, so there's no doubt it's another success story. But um, uh, what are digital badges and, and how did this initiative come about?
0: So, uh, before I get into that, another another anecdote here, right? So we did start the digital badges initiative, and again, you uh, know, I believe in leading by example, and I went and took the course, uh, the first one, uh, because I wanted to experience what we are offering to our customers. myself went through the whole drill. I did own a badge. I did. Finished the course, passed the exam, and I earned the badge. And like anybody else, and, you know, what you're seeing on LinkedIn, I went and promoted my badge on LinkedIn. Got a call from my boss saying, oh, my God, what did you just do? I said, well, what happened? Said, well, you just posted your badge. Well, that can tell our customers only one thing. It's so damn easy to earn a badge that even my VP went and got it. <laughs> so wow. I've, I've earned more badges after that because I... I'm kind of one of the, you know, I t- consider myself one of the, the testers of the programs you're putting out. Uh, and I just have refrained from promoting those badges on, on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I do have a little bit more <laughs> in my in, sitting in my stash. So uh, look, you know, di- you're right. Uh, there's digital badges are everywhere, especially in the COVID days when people have time, they are trying to go and earn badges, it's, it's really, it's, to, to me, it's, it's a form of an instant gratification. You go do a course. You go, you know, pass the exam for that course. I want something for it. I want to be able to show off to my friends, to my colleagues. I want to be able to put it on my resume. And I want it to be authentic that can be validated in case I'm looking for another job, another or somebody, you know, my boss wants to know. Uh, so it's it's legitimate. It's secure. It can be authenticated. No, I love it. Uh, the way it came about was uh, as you are aware, as you know, we took uh, just as a part of you know Broadcom investment, uh, we took our entire uh, education program, anything that we were delivering through uh, web, and these are all premium uh, programs. We made it available at no extra cost as an added value to all our licensed customers. So we saw a huge uptake, uh, more than 100%. Uh, the numbers are much higher right now of the uptake we saw in our education. And people were saying, well, I'm doing all of these things. How do I record it? How do I show it to people? And then I, we also were hearing from some large corporations saying that, geez, you know, Thank you for making all of this training and learning available to us. We actually have encouraged our people to go and, you know, get trained on, uh, you know, these technologies that you guys are providing training for. Uh, I want to be able to see who has successfully completed it. I want to be able to track. I want to make it a part of their career conversation, career progression, right, Uh, continuing education. So they were asking for something, so initially we started out with, uh, you know, old style paper certificates, and and uh, so I had the privilege of signing certificates. So if you've come across any of those, you'll see my signature on those. <laughs> I have seen those, I have seen those,
1: and I, and I've um, so, I've been quite envious of them, uh, thinking that one day I should do one. But maybe I'll so now do a digital badges.
0: badge digital badges took that privilege away from me but i like it this is more scalable
1: <laughs> excellent
0: uh, so that's what came about you know the, the draw was to figuring out you know how do we how do we uh, meet that need of instant gratification for someone who took the course and for the employer who wants to know who all have done it uh, done the training from their side uh, so this has become amazing amazingly popular actually uh, the number of badges we're issuing every single day, uh, it's mind-boggling. Oh, it's so, fantastic. And, yeah, people are coming, taking those training courses, they're learning, they're getting educated. Uh, so this this is awesome. This is awesome.
1: It fits right into, I guess, you know, the, the modern world we're in, where, as you said, not even pre-COVID-19, you know, it's self-service, uh, self-driven, uh, self-run education and certification and training programs is sort of where it's at. And know, we've got open universities and all kinds of other things where people can now essentially govern their own future. And I think this is perfect. It's sort of, I imagine it fits into that whole vitality program you've been running for some time where people can essentially, you know, through their own initiative and their own time and their own outreach, uh, leverage all the things you are doing. Uh, And certainly now when they've got more time at home, I guess, um, you know, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago and uh, they'd just finished an MBA. and I was like, how the hell did you do that? And they're like, well, I'm not traveling to work for an hour and a half every day. Uh, I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So if you have five days a week where you're saving over an hour, that's five or six hours a week. It's like, wow, I can do an MBA at home. Uh, No, I think it's a fantastic thing. And as I said, it's definitely showing up in my LinkedIn feed on a regular basis, which uh, if anything is a thermometer on how successful it is. And congratulations on that. One other thing that I was wanting to just briefly touch on, I guess, is that, you know, there's no secret that we're, um, you know, the world's been turned upside down in many ways with regard to the global pandemic. Uh, this has had an immediate impact on things like events because we're not physically going to events. And, you know, I think January was the uh, the last real event I went to with an event around the retail sector in, in New York, the NRF event. Uh, and then, we, you know, we had uh, Mobile Congress was sort of uh, co- uh, cancelled or postponed, if you like, depending on how you describe it. The uh, Health Information Symposium, the RSA Security Conference, and I know more recently that events like uh, Share and the Open Mainframe uh, uh, event and, and then one of the Linux uh, uh, conferences are all sort of, you know, being pivoted into virtual. Uh, give us a little insight on kind of how this has impacted uh, life for you and your team uh, with regard to some of the events that you would normally be at in person and and, uh, and some of the things you've been doing to sort of, you know, adjust to that and, and sort of do things now online uh, and, and in a virtual sense with, with your partners and, and customers and, and so forth as, a, as an ecosystem.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, uh, there's my the last event for me that got cancelled <laughs> was supposed to be in Sydney and Melbourne. So oh, no. I still have I still have airline vouchers from Qantas.
1: <laughs> oh you're kidding. Well when you come, let me know and I'll take you out for a whole day <laughs> sure. and we'll do a VIP <laughs> sure. trip around my hometown. But uh, but it has been a big change, right? It's been a massive
0: shift we've had absolutely. to pivot to. Right, right. So uh We've been going around, right? Doing these things we're calling our Innovation World Tours, uh, where we go talk to customer executives and present them with our vision, exchange notes about their vision and see how we can help them, how they, how they can help our direction and how we can help their initiatives, right? So it's, it's a mutual thing. Uh, since the travel has pretty much come to a standstill across the globe, uh, we did halt it for a few months And then uh, we have re-emerged as uh, a virtual uh, event for world tours. We have started to do that uh, since, I'd say, early June, or was it early July? Uh, We've gotten back on track. Converted the event into a virtual, which is sort of a semi-live. We've got people who are live, I would get on the camera, and other speakers would get on the camera, and we have some recorded content as well. To give it that uh, uh, a little bit of a, a polished flavor, right? It Look, it, it came out pretty nice. So we've been doing that. Uh, people are are joining, uh, so we are seeing things coming back to you know the particip- participation levels, sort of getting back to normal on those. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we did. Uh, you, you talked about share. You talked about you know iDug Uh, We are we have upped our sponsorship levels on all of those Uh, We understand the challenges with you know uh, Delivering all of those remote we want to be Standing by uh, Those groups and part and and we have been partnering with them anyway for a long time, right, but we really have uh, stood up our our sponsorship and be supportive with them in addition to that for For a direct touch with our customers, I mean, Share, IDA, you know, DevOps Summit, all of these are industry events. In addition to that, we have been running our own mainframe technical exchanges. We did this uh, typically in, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, about four locations, right? Pittsburgh, Lyle, which is Chicago, uh, Plano, Dallas, uh, Prague, Uh, So on of these locations, we invite customers and they come and spend about two and a half to three days going through architecture level conversations, roadmap conversations, uh, user experience, uh, usability training type things. So we've been doing that. And with travel sort of, you know, stopping, we had to reinvent these. We're going to still have pretty much everything we have had. Uh, as content, uh, just doing it virtual. So there's an event that is coming up. Uh, I believe uh, we're targeting October time frame for that. Uh, the advantage we get with going virtual is that I don't need to run a Pittsburgh event and a, in a Dallas event Indeed. a Chicago event. I can have a couple two uh, or two two three events to cover different time zones. So it makes it easier from that perspective, uh, right. And the customer is going to have the same experience. And we are also able to break it down. Uh, so rather than sit in a room for like three days, we can have chunks of it that can carry for a larger number of days.
1: It's unfortunate exactly. it took a, a global pandemic to bring it about, but uh, one of the comments that I had from people re- regularly this year is that they, um, you know, that, that it's exciting to see every one of these events. As you said, and you do three days, but then eventually you get too many events. And sometimes they run too long, and, and it's quite exhausting. Uh, I love the fact you've been able to pivot. And, and and what's the uptake being like? I imagine you had a pretty uh, a great response to these, and I've joined a couple of myself of recent. Um, and you've certainly had a long history of running, I guess, online events with your, you know, if anyone jumps on, on the uh, Broadcom mainframe website and has a look under events, for example, there's a never-ending stream of upcoming webinars and live streams. So I imagine... You've had a long pedigree of doing these. Now you've sort of expanded to what would normally be an in-person event uh, for the, the two or three days, you said, to sort of the virtual. Uh, what's the reaction been like? It, it I imagine it's been pretty positive.
0: The reaction has been pretty positive, Des. So uh, folks uh, who, who had challenges with their travel budgets in the past as well, right, or had trouble finding uh, three days out of their schedule to go to another town and attend these, can actually now participate. Uh, these are also going to be available uh, on demand after the event is, is over. Right. So it gives them you know, more opportunities to engage. Uh, they would be able to chat with our experts in real time in these. So that personal touch, being able to talk to your favorite uh, technical support person or the favorite architect or the favorite product manager, all of those are being preserved. Well, look, you've
1: shared some amazing insights around what you're doing around education with the badges, uh, the big pivot you have made with, with the uh, event side of things, and certainly some amazing uh, insight into kind of your uh, whole window fee initiative, which I think everyone should be just uh, you know, jumping online and checking out. But, uh, it's just been great to have you on the show, and, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show real soon.
0: Thanks a lot, Des. It has been a pleasure.